where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are celebrating Community Faith Formation Sunday today. And Community Faith Formation is language that is a little bit newer to us. It evolved uh, last summer and fall as we were looking into transitioning my position to a long-term position. Uh, it was meant to, <laughs> Sarah is nicely cheering in here, so I hope her microphone was on and you all could hear that. <laughs> it was meant to sort of encompass the idea that faith formation, or what is sometimes called Christian education, isn't just about Sunday school for kids. It is about all of the ways that we experience God as part of a church community, uh, from the worship services, to classes, to service projects, to committee meetings. And so community faith formation was in part about saying faith formation is for everybody in a lot of different ways. But the name also sort of carried with it this implicit idea that faith formation happens in community. That is, that the community itself is important for all of us to grow. When Michael and I were putting the bulletin together this week, uh, I said to him, it's Community Faith Formation Sunday, and so some image that evokes that would be great. And he chose a wonderful image of all of these people gathered together. And then we looked at it, and we're like, that's not really what community faith formation is looking like these days. And we looked some more, and we found this image that maybe some of you saw in Happenings, or if you printed out a bulletin of a person who has an um, iPad in front of them and their Bible. And in some ways, that's what community faith formation has become. Not that we don't have any in-person things, but that we are engaging increasingly online in this time. And it was a reminder to me of all of the questions that we have had to ask since March. What should we do, and how should we do it, and when should we do it? And they've all been urgent and important questions. And as we've tried to sort them out, and even at times as they've been a little overwhelming, as information changes and uh, ideas and technology has emerged and developed, the one question that I have found the most compelling and even the most grounding isn't the what and the when and the how, but the why. Why does community matter in this time or any other time for that matter? 
why does it matter if we scramble around to make these service projects happen, like our bean repackaging today, or the crop walk in a couple weeks? Even the Black Lives Gathering and video. These things that we do as a community, that we put in the time to figure out how to make work. What is it about those that continues to be so important? So this week we're hearing again the feeding of the multitude, which we already heard two weeks ago, and we are going to hear a few more times in the next several weeks. This is the only miracle story that happens in all four Gospels. And it is one of the few stories about Jesus, period, that are the same in each of the Gospels. It tells us that of all of the things that the writers could have included and chose to include, in each of these early Jesus communities, people felt like this story, in particular, relayed something particular about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so as you listen this morning, I invite you to listen with an ear for what this story tells us about our lives together. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and he cured their sick. When it was the evening, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a deserted place and the hour is late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples replied, we have nothing. We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, aside from the women and the children. Reverend Sarah noted two weeks ago that this story follows right on the heels of the death of John the Baptist. And so while this is a story of life and healing, it comes right after a story of death and destruction. And it's interesting to note, too, that that also happens at a big gathering. If you have heard the story of the death of John the Baptist 
Uh, it's one of those that's scandalous, and it pops up in uh, movies and popular culture and scripture. The story goes that King Herod has gathered people for a party. And John the Baptist was already in prison at this point. He had been speaking out against King Herod and the power he had. And he had also, in particular, highlighted the relationship that King Herod had with his brother's wife. So John the Baptist is in prison, and King Herod is having a party. And in the midst of the party, uh, King Herod's something like a stepdaughter, the daughter of his brother's wife, dances for the group, and King Herod is so uh, pleased and impressed that he asks her, what would you like in return? And in collaboration with her mother, the young woman asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That is how the death of John the Baptist comes about. And one of the things that we see when these two stories are put back to back is that there are two visions of community and the way that community works. In Herod's world, community is transactional. Somebody does something for you, and you do something for them. And this kind of system can feel fair because it's easy to measure. When we live in transactional communities, we know roughly where everybody stands. In Jesus' vision, Community is risk-taking. People give without first counting the cost. It's remarkable to me how somewhere, somebody in that crowd had to be the first to give up their bread and their fish. In Matthew's story, which is the one that we read today, it is the disciples themselves who seem to have this food and who offer it up. In John's version, it's a child who comes forward and gives the bread and the fish. And in Mark's version, the one we heard two weeks ago, it seems like the disciples gather the food up from the crowd itself. And however it happens, what's clear is that somebody made that first step. Somebody decided in that moment it was more important to be part of a group and to participate in this shared vision of what they could be together than seeking a measure of personal security in a time of scarcity. And that leads us, I think, to the second difference in these two visions of the world. There's a difference between power and empower. In times of uncertainty, which feels uh, especially 
poignant right now, but is actually most of life. It is so tempting to seek out power because power is control. And when you hear the story of Herod and the party, you can almost see those webs of power surrounding them. It's like a tennis match or a basketball game where you're always watching to see who has the ball now. Who can maintain control the longest? And who will score the winning point? At the beginning of Jesus' impromptu picnic in the desert, it almost looks like a similar game. Those crowds have followed Jesus there because he has something they want. And so he moves among them, healing them. And if it was a movie, Jesus might even be staged a little bit like a rock star. The crowds are pressing in, and he's touching shoulders, and he's blessing heads, and the excitement is growing so much that nobody wants to leave. And then it shifts. Because when the next crisis comes, and the people are hungry and out of food, Jesus himself shifts that focus. You feed them, he says to the disciples. And it does seem like maybe there's a little bit of snappiness on the disciples' part. And maybe that's because they're used to things working the way they do in Herod's world. Maybe... They're even a little suspicious. This is the part in the kingdom of people where someone gets beheaded for forgetting to organize the catering. But what Jesus does instead isn't to blame people, but to invite them into this new possibility. He shifts the focus from who did this, or even Well, we're out of food. It's every person for themselves to look what you can all do together. Here are the resources you had all along. And it's not just the bread and the fish. It's each other. And it's faith in a God who is on the side of the hungry and who is on the side of those who are willing to live as though God is really among them. What we believe about community or about relationships shapes what we are willing to give to it. And what we are willing to give to it shapes what we find in it. The real difference between community, as Herod envisions it, and as Jesus invites it, is who people become when they are there. At Herod's house, it's all about the facade. While Jesus invites people to be transformed by this time they have together, And it sounds lofty, but it is actually the most boring, hardest, 
most rewarding part of our life together. Real community has grit. And by that I mean that it stands the test of time, but I chose that word intentionally because I also mean that it's a little bit like sandpaper. The people we love the most, the people we are willing to be the closest to, whether that is our spouse or a good friend or a small group here at UCC Longmont, are also the people we are most likely to get crossways with. You know that I love the church as an institution and also as a particular group of people, as this particular group of people. And sometimes when I am with friends, many or most of whom are not church people themselves, they will mistake this love that I have for the church for almost a naivete. Or they'll say things like, well, it's easy to be part of a church. But what I love about the church isn't that it's perfect, or even that it's easy. It's that we come here together with a commitment to learn to be better. And we come here willing to put up with the fact that none of us are quite the people that we want to be. We are all works in progress. Parker Palmer, who was a professor of education and is also an author and an activist, wrote an article in 1998 called 13 Ways of Looking at Community. And in this article, he relays how in 1974, he set off on a journey of living in intentional communities. By 1975, he had come up with the definition of community as that place where the person you want to live always lives. And a mere year later, by 1976, he'd added another part to his definition. And when that person moves away, someone else arises immediately to take their place. As Parker Palmer said, the reason for this is simple. Relationships in community are so close and so intense that it is easy for us to project on another person that which we cannot abide in ourselves. As long as I am there, the person I least want to live with will be there as well. And as I'm saying that this morning, I'm aware that it sounds a little bit depressing, but I actually think that it is the most hopeful, honest thing about community. Because in real community, in the community of Jesus, we know this, and we still choose to keep working it out together anyway. Community goes hand in hand with faith because living in relationship 
with another person who we will find imperfect and who will discover that we are imperfect as well is an act of hope. It's choosing to believe in the possibility that we are moving towards something greater together than any of us could be on our own. And it's choosing to believe that in that other person, we learn something about God. And that maybe they are learning something about God too. As we celebrate this Community Faith Formation Sunday then, what I want to leave you with is a question. How has the church community, and I wrote this question down with a capital C so that it can body the church community wherever you have experienced it. How has the church community shaped your faith? And I hope that you will reflect on that question more this week and to get you started in thinking about it, I invited Kirk here this morning to be our guinea pig and to take a shot at answering that question for us. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. I'm the Reverend Kirk Thomas, and my pronouns are he, his, and him. Some of you remember my parents, June and Earl, or Tommy Thomas, who attended this church for over 35 years. When I was a kid, my family located to southeast Denver, where we began to attend the Kirk of Bonnie Bray, only two years old at the time, just like me. Throughout my childhood and youth, the Kirk was a major part of my life. Of course, I attended Sunday school and youth group meetings, but my family also took part in potlucks, pageants, talent shows, and the Laferay Youth Camp. Since I sang in choirs from age 5 through age 18, I listened to the sermons every week as I participated in Sunday worship. The people of the Kirk were an extended family, and for me, church was a home away from home. I learned much from that church family about faith, morals, ethics, kindness, and compassion. I still remember each one of them with abiding affection. Although I went to seminary after college, the church and I began to drift apart because of my affectional orientation. I would attend the university church sporadically, and I attended an MCC church for a while where I felt support and solidarity. But when I decided to return to seminary as an older adult to pursue ministry once again, I found renewed support in several church communities, my downtown membership church and at the suburban church at which I interned and then was hired as an interim associate pastor. 
I also made close friendships amongst my seminary and ministerial colleagues, as well as in the local UCC conference. My first pastorate was at a small congregation in Utah, and there too I found close and loving support among a lively and dedicated community of beleaguered but progressive Christians. Church has always been a community of love and support for me. When I moved to Longmont this year, there was no question that I would seek membership in this church community where my parents had attended, that I have known for years, and for which I have always cared and respected. Whenever I find my life's journey to be burdensome and challenging, I turn to my church communities for solace, inspiration, and renewed faith. And observing the faith journeys of so many others in the church, I feel lifted up and strengthened in my own. One of the reasons that I love to ask people how church has shaped their faith is because the answers always seem so normal and so everyday and so enormous at the same time. I hear it in Kirk's story. Uh, I heard it when we talked about it and I heard it again as he was speaking just now. And I hope that you find that in your own story as well. That just as the bread and the fish, which are simple foods, just as those became this blessing of unmeasurable proportions, a blessing for enough people to encompass a small city, so do all of these everyday, typical things that we do together become that kind of miracle and blessing for each of you and also for those in the world and the other places where you venture out to invite people to experience the depth of community. as you think about this week, it may be worth spending some intentional time in prayer or journaling or collaging with this question and see what gratitudes and blessings and power emerge for you when you think about the ways that church community has formed you for a life of faith.